If you have your Bibles, we will ask you, I will ask you to turn to Psalm 9. And for those who may not have been here this past week, um, in these days, retirement is a kind of precarious term for ministers because we don't really retire. Um, we um, don't look for aimless things to do. We look for ways of keeping, to, keeping serving. Uh, for retirement for me is not being the captain anymore, but being happy to be a deckhand and to serve the church as, as uh, opportunity uh, arises. And I hope that as, a, as long as the Lord grants me health, uh, that my wife and I both will be an encouragement to the people of God and continuing to serve. Uh, one of the things that I want to do to uh, generate uh, uh, excitement in my soul is to stay preparing uh, the Word of God and to do something I've never had the chance to do or taken the opportunity to do throughout the course of my 43 years as an ordained minister, and that is to preach from beginning to end through the Psalms. So it's a, it's a, it's a task. I don't know how long it will take, but I'm at Psalm 9 now. And for better or for worse, uh, here we are together, and I'm sure it will be for be better because it's always uh, God's Word. Let us uh, uh, read this. Uh, please follow as I uh, read it for you at this time. To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But, Lord, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the, for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them, and he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit and that they have made, and in the net 
in the net they they hid in the net they in the net that they hid their own foot has been caught and the lord has made himself known he has executed judgment the wicked are snared in their own in in the work of their own hands a guy on selah the wicked shall return to sheol all the nations that forget God, for the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of God stands forever. Let me just make a comment on the outline that is in your bulletin. Uh, Ryan pressed me, Pastor Ryan pressed me uh, several weeks ago to get my, get my outline in. And of course, I had to do something in haste. And as you begin to work it through, I find myself having uh, uh, altered it somewhat. Now keep those four points in mind in your outline because they are four subpoints now of the middle point. So I have three points. Uh, the second one has four subpoints and they roughly correspond with those. So um, here's my outline and then we will go back and look at it. Uh, the first is the habit of recounting, kind of an introductory Secondly, the joy of rehearsing, and now those subpoints will fit under that. Finally, the duty of remembering. So that's how we're going to unfold this. There is a tradition that we should consider or know about that regards Psalms 9 and 10 as a continuous psalm, and some traditions actually number it as one psalm, which throws all the psalms uh, afterwards off, according to our reckoning of the Psalter. However, the themes are really quite different. They're nearly opposite. And maybe that in itself has something to say. It's hard to imagine this as a single psalm, and many of the commentators that I consulted uh, don't regard it as as a single psalm, but recognize that they somehow belong together. Nine and ten belong together. And there's good reason, which we don't have time to go into that. Not the least of which, Psalm 10 does not have the superscript or the introduction that all the other psalms, first 30 plus, have. And so it's thought that maybe this could have been a kind of continuation. They do exist as an intended pair. And we're only going to consider the first one this morning. Each one has their own emphasis that is kind of opposite to one another. That is, Psalm 9 speaks of the certain triumph of the Lord versus Psalm 10, the apparent triumph of the wicked. Psalm 10 is very much like Psalm 73, describing a kind of a classic description of the wicked, faithless, godless type of individual. Psalm 9, however, is an encouraging psalm recounting the wonders of our sovereign God and the gracious deeds that he has done on our behalf. And that is the theme I'm going to pick up 
because I think that that is woven through it all. The gracious deeds that he has done. Before we uh, look at that more closely, let's just consider the superscript uh, similar to last week. There's a recipient. David sends this to the choir master, uh, presumably to craft it for public worship, uh, to bring music to bear, and so forth, indicating that it is a psalm, even though in the first person singular, it is a psalm that is intended for all of God's people to worship God with. There's a liturgical note, and again, according to Muth Laban, uh, uh, some have kind of stretched the translation uh, of being the death of a son. It, it's um, uh, uh, more likely it's a tune uh, that is lost to us today. Um, uh, historians of ancient musicology uh, are fascinated by these things, but it's very, very hard to recover the actual tunes of ancient cultures. There is the author. Again, it is given uh, by David. There is no author or superscription in Psalm 10, and it does appear to carry over. So David is probably the author of both of these psalms, only it's mentioned in Psalm 9. The primary theme of this psalm is an invitation to habitually recount and retell, recount and retell, the praiseworthy deeds and redeeming activities and redeeming activities of our gracious and sovereign God. I want to repeat that because the, the words, I chose the words carefully. It's, it's a primary theme that the psalm is an invitation to habitually, a habit, a spirituality. It's part and parcel to our piety. The ha to habitually recount and retell the praiseworthy deeds and redeeming activities of our gracious God, gracious and sovereign God. Now, as, as I was coming down today, I was listening to another radio station, and a radio preacher was on there who's, uh, uh, who made this amazing statement. And it's, it's, uh, I told my wife, I said, take a pad and write that down because I want to insert it in here. I probably would have used it as the opening statement. But spiritual remembrance awakens spiritual affections. And that's what I think David is calling upon us to do today, to, to, um, to use the, the exercise, the habit of spiritual remembrance to awaken spiritual affections in our lives. In fact, I suggest that this psalm calls for a particular kind of piety that needs to be a part of the habit of our lives in which we are to be actually and actively engaged. This is suggested in the opening verse where David speaks of devotion with his whole heart, with his whole heart, that's how he begins. He, he, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and a commitment to telling, to storytelling, to telling the story of God's mighty deeds to himself 
and to others around him. And isn't that what we do in church every Sunday? The worship of God is the retelling of the story of God's mighty deeds, the remembrance. And thus we come to our opening point, the habit of recounting. And that's the word that at least the ESV uses. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The psalm seems to urge upon God's people the habit of recounting the Lord's attributes and saving activities in behalf of his people. What God is doing in our lives. Some similar verses are also found, for example, in verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. We would call this evangelism today or missions today. And then again we read in verse 14 that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Something of a hint of the kinds of things we are to retell, to recount, to remember. That is God's saving and wondrous activities. And this is a common theme throughout many psalms. Uh, Psalm 78, I, I, I just need to point this out to you, and you may want to make a note of the importance of Psalm 78 in this same regard. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and the might and the wonders he has done. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. I think I counted five generations of this storytelling of the people of God. So there, there is this habit. Other psalms, for example, Psalm 106, verse 7, uh, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love but rebelled by the sea at the red sea and what is the root of of rebellion but a, a loss of memory over god's mighty deeds this keeps it alive psalm 107 verse 8 let them give thanks to the lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works same word that is used here for the children of men. Psalm 71, 17. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may hold wondrous things out of your law. And so we gather for a retelling, but this should be a habit. It should be part of our piety as we as we recognize uh, the regularity of the Lord's table in our lives, the sitting under the, the hearing of the word of God, 
uh, we should also recognize that part of our piety should be uh, actively remembering, praying that God would stir up our hearts to remember not only his mighty redemptive deeds, but even his more, more recent deeds in our own lives, his faithfulness to us can't tell you how many times I've been encouraged by simply remembering God's provision in the early days of my life, in these days when I wonder whether I've saved enough to last for the days that I have left. And yet, uh, my ver- the verse that has come to my mind is, I am young, I was young and now I'm old. <laughs> and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And I That means something because God has enabled me to remember his faithfulness. Well, there's joy in rehearsing these things. That's why we go to church. That's why we come into the assembly of God's people where the gospel story is rehearsed. We we look at it again and we consider its ramifications and and the like. It, it It is the essence of public gatherings in the church of Christ. And here we have uh, four subpoints, and I will have to go through the lion's share of the psalm fairly quickly. But we reveal, first of all, the Lord, our strong defender. You may have to correct what's in your bullet in a little bit, but I think they run pretty close. The Lord, our strong defender. Verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they stumbled and perished before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause, you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment, you have rebuked the nations, you've made the wicked perish, you've blotted out their name, uh, their name forever and ever, the enemies came to an end in everlasting ruin, their cities you rooted out, and the very memory of them has perished. You feel overwhelmed by a sinful world that you live in? It's It's dust. It's, it's already dust. It's already defeated. We needn't fear the, uh, uh, the deniers of God's people. David's enemies are certainly in view here, and so are ours, for that matter. And their, deny, their demise is not due to David's prowess and military strength, which is in part what he is known for. But it's not due to that, but due to the mighty work of the Lord defending his people. And if the Lord did this for David, he will do this for us. He will do this for his people today. We will not be cast off. We will not the, 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 the enemies of God will be defeated. He, he subdues, as the Westminster Confession says regarding Jesus the King, subdues, defeats and disues, uh, uh, subdues all his and our enemies. We serve our Lord as our strong defender. Consider how the enemies of the Lord stumble before God's presence. They, they stumble and perish before your presence. How they perish at God's bidding. Uh, you, you, you're the enemies of God, they stumble in your presence for you have maintained my just cause. They disappear and are forgotten 
through God's victory. They don't even realize this, that, that their, their ways are going to pass off the scene. The, the issues that they say are so important today will be gone tomorrow. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. And again, the um, righteous advocate defends the cause of his people. Let's not be caught up in the, the uh, fruitless conversations of our day and be overwrought by uh, those who seem to be gaining the upper hand. Because this is their end, and it's already been declared. The Lord is our strong defender. Secondly, the Lord is our virtuous ruler. He is our sovereign king, we might say. The Lord sits enthroned forever. What an encouraging thought. We can take that at its face value. The Lord is our sovereign king. Nothing is clearer in biblical literature than this, that his rule, his rule, and he rules and defends his cause. The Lord is enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He, has, he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And because of all that, the Lord is a stronghold, a place where we can rest, where we can hide, as it were. For he's a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of trouble. And those who know your name and put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's a gospel promise right there. He will not forsake, forsake those who look to the Lord and trust in him. The Lord is not only our strong defender, he's not only our virtuous ruler, but he's our gracious redeemer. There is redeeming gospel grace in this psalm as we can find either implicit or explicitly in virtually every psalm that we are given here. We read in verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Speaking there of the people of God who have been used and abused by the powers of this world. And yet the Lord has not forgotten his people. His long suffering with Egypt, uh, with the Israelites in Egypt, may have gone on for seemingly centuries, but the Lord remembered his people and remembered his covenant with his people, and he will remember his covenant with his people today as well. Be gracious, says David to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The Lord is our gracious Redeemer, and such providences are well worth retelling every time we gather. They are well worth remembering and rehearsing before our families and before our own hearts in the quietness of our devotion. And four activities in particular are mentioned here with regard to the Lord, our gracious 
uh, redeemer. He avenges the persecuted. There is on the table uh, in the back the literature of the voice of the martyrs. Uh, we receive that as well. It's our window into the horrible abuses that uh, are, are put upon many segments of the people of God in certain countries and nations. We should pray for them and always remember them. But keep in mind, too, that the Lord remembers them, and he will one day lift them up and deliver them and answer their cry from behold the below the altar how long O lord and yet there will come that day of reckoning and and deliverance secondly he does not forget the afflicted he doesn't forget us in our darkest hours he doesn't abandon us even though we may feel like it let us remember the praiseworthy deeds of the lord and the wondrous works that he has done on our behalf this is where the habit of recounting the uh, the habit of recounting god's wonderful deeds his gracious attributes toward us he does not forget the afflicted he is gracious to those who call upon his name this is what we do again as we gather as a company of believers but it's what we do we should do daily recognize what david says be gracious to me o lord see my affliction from those who hate me you who lift me up from the gates of death and you draw me to the gates of life notice the contrast in verse 13 there's the gates of death verse 14 says that i may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of zion that i may rejoice in your salvation there's two gates here there's two ways the gates of death the gates of the city of zion the gates of heaven the gates of life as it were it's as though the the lord is anticipating what paul would say in colossians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 where we are told he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness the gates of death as it were and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves his beloved son the gates of the city of zion as it were in whom in christ we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins and he does all of this for this purpose, that we may recount his praiseworthy deeds and that we might rejoice in the salvation that is ours through him. And that's what the psalm is inviting us to do, to, to land on these, these remembrances of the Lord, our gracious Redeemer, that we might recount his praiseworthy deeds and that we may rejoice in our salvation. There's one more. The Lord, our strong defender. The Lord, our virtuous ruler or sovereign king. The Lord, our gracious redeemer. And the Lord, our righteous judge. The Lord, our righteous judge. Verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. And in the in, in, in the net that, uh, and in, in the net that they hide, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known, he has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. 
Hold on to that. The wicked shall return to Sheol, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. How has the Lord done this? How has the Lord shown himself as a righteous judge? Number one, the Lord will see to it that the wicked will fall in their own pit and be snared in their own trap. That's what David is saying here. And he, he knows that because he remembers how God has been faithful over the years. The Lord will see to it that the wicked will fall in their own pit and be snared in their own path, their own, their own, uh, their own trap. Now, this is not on our timetable. We, the people of God, live through life. We live through the good years. We live through the evil years. Uh, and yet, in the end, God's will will prevail. And the Lord will see to it because he is the righteous judge. He is our righteous judge. And he will always defend his people. Think of Haman. It's a good story as an illustration of that. Haman, who was the evil uh, 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 the, the evil who was against Mordecai in the book of Esther. And uh, he had hoped that he could finagle his way around the courts of the king in order to get Mordecai hung on the gallows and he built this gallow, this trap, and he had a plan that was perfect in his own eyes. But who swung from the gallows at the end of the day? It wasn't Esther, it wasn't Mordecai, but it was Haman himself. And that's an illustration that however dire situations may look, whether it be our own day in the past or in the future, the Lord's will will prevail to the glory of his holy name and to the good of his people. Let us hold on to that in days of uncertainty such as these. The second thing the Lord does in this regard is the Lord will prepare a place of abandoned hope for those who forget the Lord. This is, this is a horrible truth, but it is indeed truth. There is a place of abandoned hope. It is called Sheol here. And there's, of course, a great deal of uh, entomological discussion regarding that word in the Hebrew, which we don't really need to go into. But it's the place of the dead, the place uh, of the grave. Uh, it is the place of, of abandoned hope. It's not the place of hope, but abandoned hope. For, in this case, all the nations that forget the Lord. And the needy shall not be forgotten by contrast. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Though there may be dark days, let us remember the Lord is in charge and has his people in mind. The Lord will prepare a place of abandoned hope for all who forget the Lord. Consider the rich man. In this world, the rich man had all his pleasures. And by contrast, poor Lazarus, he had nothing. He could only reach, eat from the garbage heap of life. But the difference was the man, the rich man, trusted his treasures. 
And the poor man, Lazarus, trusted in the Lord. And when the day the, cur- day the curtain dropped on their lives, the rich man found himself in Sheol, in Hades, pleading with God for just a drop of water for his lips, pleading that somehow a warning would be given to his surviving siblings. And yet he was told, they've already been warned. They have Moses, the prophets, the scriptures. These are sufficient to respond in life and in faith. Thirdly, the Lord is our righteous judge in that the Lord will remember and regard his children who are poor in spirit. Not merely, there is no, there is no, um, nothing laudable about being, being poor in and of itself. It's not the end of things, but there's nothing necessarily good about being poor. Nothing particularly righteous or spiritual about it. But being poor in heart is quite another thing. The Jesus Beatitudes begin with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty. Those who confess their sins, as we did this morning. Those who recognize that God's law exposes what they really are from the inside out and points them to Christ, who is their hope. The poor in spirit are those who trust in the Lord and trust in God's provision through his son, Jesus. The hope of the poor shall not perish forever. The psalm closes in the the last two verses with what I call the duty of remembering. The duty of remembering. And this, is, this duty is not remembered by the nations. Arise, O Lord, let not the man prevail. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. That's a good admonition for all of us, isn't it? We are not gods. We are not really ultimately in control of our of our our little worlds. Most of our life is we are is totally lived in response to circumstances and things that are beyond our control and outside of our situation. We have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not unto our own understanding and acknowledge him in all our ways and he will, by his grace, direct our paths. We are called here to remember who we are apart from Christ. We're just mere men. We are just mere women. We are just mere humans. We are sinful and fallen and, and really very, very small in the whole scope of things. We are just, as he says, are just mere men. It's very healthy to remember, be reminded that we are just, just mere, mere objects of God's creation and that we are fallen in need of his grace. This is a deadly and consequential forgetfulness if we forget these things. It has eternal consequences if we forget these things. And perhaps it's the very idea that lies behind Philippians 
2, 1 through 4, when it tells us, let, not, let us not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but with soberness of mind, consider others better than ourselves. And then it launches into this wonderful description of the Lord Jesus, who is be in, being in very nature God, considered not equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness, our likeness, and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And it was through this pathway that the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Let us consider that we are just mere mortals, but we are invited to put our trust in him who is very God and very man, even the Lord Jesus. And thus, the fear of the Lord is the most fundamental way to think of what it means to be a true believer. Put them, put us, O Lord, in the fear of the Lord, and that we might know that we are just mere mortals. A couple of points just to wrap this up and take home with us. First of all, as our psalm began, recall that the Christian faith is a religion of the heart. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. It, it, it pierces the heart. The gospel pierces us internally. And Spiritual remembrance is a wonderful exercise to awaken those spiritual affections. Make this a habit. Make it a habit of recounting your blessings. Just like the old gospel song, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. A wonderful Thanksgiving song. Remember that. Remember that this is a faith-building exercise that David is setting for us. Recall that the Christian faith is a miraculous faith, a religion of the heart. And retell the sacred story. Tell it around the dinner table with your family and to your children. Tell it week after week, as I know you do, when you gather in your assemblies to worship. We tell it every time we celebrate the Lord's table. We tell it every time we preach Christ. We do. This is what we do in church. This is what Christians have always done. Remember the gospel and all of the divine activities that purchased our redemption. Remember what it says in verse 14, that I may recount all your praises and that in the gates, of Zion, uh, the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. And finally, remember the divine throne. This has been, I think, one of the most comforting aspects to me most recently. As my life, my world has changed dramatically and my life has changed dramatically. And it's been difficult for so many people. It's easy to fall into complaints and distrust. 
But remember, there is a God on the throne. He is our God. We worship a sovereign king. Psalm 9 has no doubts, no doubts, says one commentator, about the resolution of this struggle. So keep that in mind. Psalm 9 is a good psalm to go through because it reminds us that victory belongs to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will fill our hearts with encouragement. May we learn the joy and the habit of recounting your glorious deeds. May we take on Sunday what is modeled every week in worship and rehearse these things throughout our week to the glory of your name and the encouragement of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.